Immediately a man was nailed to the cross, he lost all his rights. And if you ever get nailed to the cross, you'll lose all yours too. We love ourselves so much. And who are, we, who are we talking about now? Unbelievers? No. So-called believers who have never understood what it is to take up the cross and put self to death. See, because in the last days, there's going to be very little preaching about the cross and death to self-life. And so, when there's no preaching against death on death to self, self is going to flourish in the lives of many Christians. They won't even know that you cannot follow Jesus if you love yourself. I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Who isn't saved? From the White House to the Jailhouse. <clears throat> I'm asking you, is Christ, does Christ live in you? Christianity is the only religion in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him. Thanks be to God that when I finally acknowledge that I can't do this, it's not possible for me to live the Christian life on my own. I, I'm not called to chart my own course. I'm not called to create my own destiny and ask God to bless it. I'm called to follow Him. I'm called to give up the rights to my life and walk with the Holy Savior. I'm called to let His mind be formed in me. His life become my life. His ways become my ways. His purpose become my purpose. His plan become my plan. And then the power of God will come upon me. This is Tom Richardson, Removing Confusion Podcast. It's uh, the 15th of February, 2023. <clears throat> There's times I feel like giving up. Just walking away from a lot of different things that I've been graciously given the opportunity to do. And one of them is even this. Uh, you know, why should I carry on? There's really nobody that seems to be listening uh but you know something uh, that's the devil he, he attacks all of us he comes at us with doubt and doubts one of the biggest uh hindrances we have to our faith if you have doubt your faith is lacking now, Jesus told us if we have the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, that which is inside of a small little mustard seed, one grain of it, we have enough faith in that that we can tell a mountain to jump into the sea, and it will. That's, of course, a, a simile, a metaphor, an analogy, whatever you want to call it. You know, nobody's done that that I know of. Now, if anybody could, it would have been Jesus. His faith was millions times stronger than any of ours being the son of God and God in flesh himself. But, you know, sometimes we wonder, you know, why are we, you know, it seems like you're just pounding your head against a brick wall and you're not getting anywhere. 
And partly is there's very few of us that study the scriptures anymore. There's very few of us that are gutsy enough to expound on the truth of the scriptures and not get caught up in all the denominational dung that's out there. Oh, that was mean. Well, too bad. It wasn't mean. It was true. Denominations have filtered and played around with and now watered down the gospel to a point in some churches that you might have been in 40 or 50 years ago and said, wow, you know, these guys are you know, really hitting it. But today, it's like, what are they even talking about? And you'll have people who say, well, I'm going to sit there. I'm going to get something out of everything I hear. Well, good for you. Go for it. You'll be lucky to get the real deal. And there are some guys I know that I I've, uh, personally know that preach really good messages. And there are some that if I have to dig that deep, I'm going to, I'm going to drift while they speak. I'm not be able to keep up with them. Uh, the gospel should not be boring. It shouldn't have dead zones, you know, and there's, you know, to, to different people, boredom's a different thing here and there, you know, uh, maybe you're, you're too hard line and you know, all you do is talk about hell and all that. You know, there's those like that. And, you know, God, God calls us into a place where, you know, you have a appointed message and you just give it and that's all you can do. So with all that doubt that I had of whether or not to keep going, uh, the good Lord shows me things. And, uh, one of them was, uh, that there's people that you reach and you don't even realize it. And, you know, when I say I reach, it's not me. It's the Holy ghost who works through the ministry that I've been given or ministries. Now, most effective, of what I do is not even in the church. I don't even think I'm effective in a church most of the time. But then you'll have that one person that'll step up and say, what you said the other day really hit me. And it made me dig deeper. And that's what I, I, I'm after. I really just don't want you to take surface gospel and surface faith that churches sell and tell you, well, you have rewards. and You may lose some if you want to continue living in a, in a constant barrage of sin. In uh, the last week and a half, there's some people in a small town in here in Ohio, uh, 20, about 25 miles from where I'm sitting. His name's East Palestine. That they, they didn't, you know, they, they probably, I think it happened on Sunday, but I'm not sure, but, uh, they, you know, went to bed that day and woke up the next day and you know, everything went as normal. And then all of a sudden there was a train that derailed full of these tankers, full of all kinds of really nice things. Uh, and you know, we, we don't know what's flowing through our backyard on, Norfolk and Southern trains or Conrail or whoever. 
But when they dump, then we find out that it, there's all kind, you know, you think nuclear hazards are bad until, you know, something mixes with something else and you end up with what they call phosgene gas, which is a World War I chemical weapon. Uh, you know, it's just the fish are dying, the animals are dying. And, you know, the resilience that God has given his people, they may not have any long-term effect or short-term effects, but the long-term effects could be horrendous. Now, for me, the perspective came as I was sitting on the computer earlier today, and I was, you know, it's close to home, you know, 25 mile is a long way, but it's still very close to home. Uh, this is a little town that I've been in many times. I, I ride a, a motorcycle around in the, in the summer and I, I listen to, uh, different preachers and a little bit of music here and ever mostly, mostly preachers and stuff like that. Uh, cause that, that's what, that's what I like to do. And I have, you know, buds in my helmet and I can, you know, get my iPod and listen. And I've been through this little town dozens of times because it's out, it's out a little bit. And I take the back roads and putter around and just enjoy myself. And it's just a sleepy little town that now is national news. One guy, the Mahoning County hazmat chief or whatever, he said when he got, he was there like, right after it happened, and he said it was like the gates of hell had opened up. Then they blew up the, uh, or whatever they did. They, it was a mushroom cloud that shot up into the mile, a mile into the sky, a black billowing goo. These people's lives are never going to be the same. Please do not forget them in prayer. They, they, their, their little town is changed forever in, in the, in the space of us of a moment. Now, again, the thing that kind of shook me is I sit here, not trying to be a narcissist, but that train, that very train passed right past my house within a half mile. And then it went down through the town that uh, is nearest, uh, Salem, Ohio, and a security camera at a local business caught the train as it went by, and it was already throwing some pretty big sparks. I wouldn't call them sparks. It looked like flame shooting off this one car. I don't know what, it looked like a grain car if I was not mistaken, but you know, you can go on YouTube and it's on CBS news. I think if I remember, I'll put a a link to that in the uh, description box for our show today. That place is only three or four miles from here where I'm sitting again. So that train went through here with a burning tire or burning wheel. You see, you never know, and you know, God is good, even in the even in these times where where it's kind of hard to to really see that there's a there's there's <laughs> some good into this. We always go back to Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things 
work together for good to them that love God, comma, to them who are called according to his purpose. What is our purpose in this scenario? We need to keep these people in prayer. If there's a way to help them out monetarily or with food or with whatever, we need to seek that out as well and, and try to help them because they're 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 in an uphill battle. The government's going to wash their hands and walk away from them before it's all over, and it's going to be up to the people of God and the people who at least have compassion to fill that void. And it's really not a good scene. In all this, you start to see and wonder, you know, why did it happen where it happened? Well, there's no whys or wherefores except that we somehow can see, somehow through this horrible tragedy, we'll see the glory of God come through. And that glory of God can come through in his people. Those that are in the eye of that storm and those of us on the surrounding circumference that can step up and do something. So I believe that's, 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 that's a, a call from heaven for us to do the right thing. And you don't have to live around here. If you can figure out a way, I'm sure there's some funds that have already been set up through good. I haven't heard if Samaritan's purses showed up yet. Uh, Franklin Graham was quick to get to the uh, coronavirus thing. Let's see if we can get him here. And then, and they usually do. They, they show up where they can a lot of times with these disasters and, as it becomes a little bit more safe. Now, they're saying it's safe now. People are, can go back to their homes, but you might not want to drink the water because the fish are dying. And uh, we don't know how far into the water table this is going to go. This could affect, depending on how much of this garbage has gotten into that water supply, which this little town is not far from the Ohio River, which then turns into the Mississippi River and a half a dozen other tributaries. Uh People all across the center of the United States could be affected in one way or another. <clears throat> Good news today, isn't it? But, you know, let's switch gears. I, I, have, I have this pet peeve of mine that, you know, when you talk to people who are what I call nominal Christians and they, and they give you... Uh, all kinds of pushback about different things. And, and you say, look, all you got to do, the Bible tells us, if you draw nigh unto God, he will draw nigh unto you. That's in the book of James. But people don't want to do that. They, they just think that, they're, that I live good enough. I'm doing the right thing. I'm on track. I don't have any problems. And then problems come up, and they, they want to know, well, what can I do? Well, you need to pray. And, of course, you get the candid uh, answer from that usually is, oh, I pray all the time, you know, or something. You're like, really? Do you fervently prayer, uh, get in prayer? Most people don't even know what that means. Again, from the book of James. The fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. 
what is what is a fervent prayer? I've talked about that before. It's a fiery prayer. It's one where your you your your soul, very soul, is burning for an answer. Your soul, your mind, your body are is is intently looking for the truth in God. But he also said, of a righteous man availeth much. Now, there's a, there's a word nobody likes to use, righteous, but yet the Bible uses it over and over again, calling us into righteousness. Now, of our own righteousness, we have none, but we do have the righteousness of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean it's a, it's a caveat that you can go do whatever you want because you call yourself saved, and Jesus clothes you in his righteousness, so I don't need to aspire towards any of my own. I'm not going to put my eggs in that basket. And I'm not teaching a legalism. I'm just saying if you've truly had an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the Father God of heaven, if you've actually been to the throne, if you've actually been touched by that hand, if you've been led out of the darkness and into the marvelous light, as Peter says it, then there should be a change in your life. And the things that we did before and thought nothing of doing that were against God's rules and, and, and regulations, let's put it that way, uh, and, you, and you can continue doing them without no, no issue of, or problem, you have a problem. You should be convicted of sin. Sin is a thing that when you commit it, you're convicted of it if you are a child of the king. <clears throat> Romans 1 and 18. Romans 1 18 states, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. What does that say then? That these men that want to live however they want and do whatever they want are making unrighteousness in their own eyes righteous. And they hold that truth in unrighteousness. So, you know, and ungodliness, by the way. Romans, uh, we're going to be in Romans a lot, it looks like. Romans one twenty nine, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers. That's, you know, like our good old friends that like to, gossip and whisper behind your back oh there you are backbiters haters of god despiteful proud boasters inventors of evil things and disobedient to parents without understanding covetous covenant breakers without natural affection implacable unmerciful who knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death, period, I'm sorry, comma, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. 
Now, if you back that up, they didn't retain the knowledge of God. They gave, and God gave them over to a reprobate mind. That's in Romans one twenty-eight. We didn't read that. To do those things which are not convenient. God gave them over to a, you know, if you stay mired in sin, let that sink in for a minute. If you stay hooked into, that's my thing, I'm going to do it and you can't stop me. Nothing in the Bible because I'm saved once and for all against all things that I ever can do or will do. If you think that you can live however you want, you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you have a big problem. I continually say, I want that conviction. When I do something wrong, usually, you know, most of the time our our words are the biggest problem we have. But when you do something against God, because see, the first, first foremost, it's like the psalmist said, Against thee, God, and against thee only have I sinned. You can find that in uh, Psalm 51. You know, all the things that David did, he had Uriah killed, he slept with Bathsheba while she was married to him, he uh, he got her pregnant, uh, which cost that baby his life in the end. God said, you will not see, you know, he'll, he'll live seven days, I think it was, and die. David cried out, and it still didn't come, God didn't take, that into consideration, he knew that this child, unfortunately, had to go. Now, it's just, I'm using the words I have in my head, but that's what it was because of the things that David did. But God also said David was a man after his own heart. <clears throat> so... Then you have the people that say, oh, well, I'm, you know, I, I'm a good person. I do good things. And, you know, like, like the folks in that, that are having a problem in East Palestine or Estine, actually Palestine, or uh, a few years ago is the tornadoes and hurricanes. And I give money, I go down, I take, I take truckloads of water, blah, blah, blah. Romans. <laughs> Romans 3.12, they are all gone out of the way. They are all, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Even though you think you're doing good things, and that's going to be the thing that solidifies you with a eternal home in heaven, it doesn't. I've tried to tell people that before, and it, it always makes them mad at me. I'm not talking off the top of my head to tell some, you know, people say, well, I do all these good things. I said, look, what, what's the old saying? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are good people who do, do awesome and wonderful things, but they have nothing to do with God. They've turned their back on Christ. They won't accept the fact that Jesus died for their sins. And all they have to do is accept him. Make a confession to him. Start to walk with him. Learn that there is a better way to go than, you know, being stuck and mired in the world 
with all the worldly everything. I'm going to tell you something. One of the, one of the most hooking things to people, and it was for me because I like music, is music. It hooks you. You know, when, when you hear a, 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 a guitar lick or even a, a set of lyrics in a song, but, you know, for me it was always the guitar lick, a little, you know, uh, maybe a, a, just a little thing, you know, in, in a song. It's called a hook, like a fish hook. You know, it hooks the ear. And you, you, you say, wow, man, that's so cool. And, and it just draws you in. And people have a hard time spitting that hook out. You know, their favorite group, their favorite song. And, you know, you try to explain to them, these people have sold their souls to the devil. I'm not just talking rock and roll. You can go into the hip-hop for sure. You can go into country music, all of them. There's somewhere along the line they have, they have compromised their own soul for what they're doing. They've signed their, their name and blood somewhere, whatever it takes. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The glory of God is Jesus himself. Read John chapter 1. We beheld his glory. I'm telling you. As you go through and you, and you seek things out, the Bible doesn't just... It's not there for me to point out to you. I do, though, because I feel it's necessary. But like I've, I've said many times, I, I preach in a, in a care facility, and I've said it enough that the one lady says, I'm going to get you a mirror. Because <laughs> I say, you know, I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. A good preacher will. He'll see in him that there's things that I need to straighten out. I can't be a hypocrite and say, you're going to do as I do. I don't want you to do as I do unless it is that I'm trying to, you know, be sanctified. And that's that fancy word of sanctification, which just means a progressive move towards uh, cleanliness, right, you know, righteousness, putting behind you the things that you did. So we need to really, you know, spend some time. You know, you never know. Like I say, that train, I could literally, and I can't walk very good these days. I got really trashed back and it's messed up my lower end uh, legs and feet and whatnot. But I can still move around. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. But, you know, I can walk to the tracks from my house. It's like a half a mile. Maybe a little more. Not much, though. That thing could have blew up right here. You don't know one day to the next what can happen. Could be a natural disaster. You know, you, you, you don't think it'll ever happen until it does. An earthquake, a hurricane, tornado, or just a really bad windstorm upset your entire life a fire oh thank god no no fires please but all these things are things that can happen and then you know we sit there in the ashes so to speak 
and and we wonder why. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are called according to His purpose. Notice that that you're called to them who are called according to his purpose. And what is his purpose? Well, that's not too hard to figure out. It's a godly living lifestyle. It's a righteous seeking lifestyle. It is a biblical view, worldview lifestyle where you start to look at things through the lens of Scripture. And, you know, that'll get you in more trouble than you can shake a stick at, folks. If you try to say to somebody, well, I'm going to take you always back to the Bible. They don't hear it. You know, I'm in the middle of this whole thing, and I, I don't know what to do. Take them back to Scripture and try to settle them down. Tell them to get into it, and they won't do it. Most of them won't do it. Now, some will. Because they sit under a good pastor or a preacher who continually says things like, it is written. (laughs) Paul said that a lot. And people, though, they they want the quick fix. We've grown up with McDonald's and Burger King and microwaves and and uh, you know, frozen dinners and a whole nine yards, and we want the quick thing. We want it now. God doesn't work that way. Remember Daniel prayed for 21 days and fasted. And when the angel appeared, he said, from the first day that you prayed, your prayer was answered. But that angel was Gabriel, I believe, was held up by a demon called the Prince of Persia. And he fought him off. I mean, you know, and even an angel that gets up against the devil, he takes a little bit of swashbuckling maybe to get through. But Daniel's prayer was answered the first day, but he kept praying. He didn't stop. I know I know these these hyper-grace, hyper-faith fruitcakes will say, well, I prayed it once, and if I pray it again, that's a lack of faith. Daniel prayed that prayer for 21 days. The uh, Luke 18, uh, Luke 18 ch- uh, chapter 18, verse 1 Talks, Jesus says men should always be praying. Paul wrote in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Rejoice evermore. That, and that, that, that goes on throughout Scripture, that we are to pray without ceasing, that we should you know, take your petitions to God and keep going to him with them. He doesn't look at that as faithlessness. He looks at it as faithfulness fullness because you believe then the more you pray for that thing to happen the more it becomes more and more to you real sometimes when we pray boy I'm getting off on a tangent but sometimes when we pray we don't really believe that God's going to answer that prayer that's called doubt doubt's a killer folks it's a killer of faith. If you doubt what you're praying can be answered, why would God even think he has to answer it? Maybe to solidify your faith and hit in that. But you know what? 
You should have the faith when you get down on your knees or however you prostrate yourself before God. You should already have the faith to believe that God is going to answer your prayer. There is Hebrews chapter 3 talks about an evil heart of unbelief. An evil heart of unbelief. We don't want to have such a thing beating in our chest. I had to pull it up. I I could have flipped to it in my Bible, but we'll just go from where we're at here. In, in Hebrews chapter 3, if you, if you start in uh, verse number 7, uh, wherefore, and then, it's a, then there's a parenthesis after the word wherefore, if you're reading King James anyway. And it's, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if ye will hear his voice, harden not your heart, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation, in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works for 40 years. Wherefore I was grieved that with that generation and said that they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest End of parenthesis. That's four verses from verse number seven. It's actually five. Five verses from seven to 11 of Hebrews chapter three surrounded in a parenthesis. I think that's to set that off a little bit separate. God talking. The Holy Spirit telling the writer, this is what I want you to focus on. These people are an example to you. Don't question God. Ask God. You know, when you shake your fist and say, I don't believe it. Well, guess what? Your your prayer doesn't get answered very quickly. Doubt slips in. And, you know, there's people, well, you you don't know what you're talking about. We'll go on then, won't we? Hebrews 3 and 12, take heed, brethren. Who's he speaking to? Anytime, you see, this stuff gets breezed over in a, in a breath often. Take heed, comma, brethren, comma. He's not speaking. The Bible doesn't speak to those who don't believe. The Bible does not speak to non-brethren of the, of the Christian faith. Now, anybody can pick up a Bible and read it like literature, and a lot of Christians do that. But when the, when the, when the chips all fall, as they may, the Bible and the writers of the Bible are not writing to lost people. They're writing to the church 
They're writing to the brethren and sisterin because they know those are the people who are truly going to listen to what they say. Now, that's not to say that people read the Bible and get saved on their own. I, like I've often said, you can, you can do that. Maybe you just, I've, I've, but I have known guys, I know a Baptist guy I worked with, grew up Baptist, and he decided he was going to read the Bible, and you know, when he got done, I couldn't believe it. I talked to him, and I knew him well. He's a friend of mine. We worked together. And uh, I, I said, somebody told me you read the Bible through, you know, flying around, and now you don't believe. And he says, that's right. He said, I can't believe that. He wasn't saved when he started. I'm sorry to say it. You know, that's that once saved, always saved stuff. He wasn't, he, and he claimed he was, but he read it and then lost his faith. How can you read the Bible and lose your faith? Well, you go at it from a world world view standpoint, and that's what's going to happen. It's not a book to read, you know, to say, well, this is a piece of literature. You can play with it that way, but it's not the way it was designed. It was designed to be spiritual. It's designed to breathe right in your hands as you read it so that you can take in the very breath of God. But... People don't believe that. They just they they're so used to. We have books everywhere. I got books all over this room. Most of them, to be honest, are Bibles. I have a whole bunch of them. I give them away to people that need them. I've had people give me different versions. I look at them. I'm not afraid to look at another version. I don't usually use them on anything, but I I look at them. Sometimes the King James English is hard for me to understand. I still feel that it's probably the most accurate. That's why you hear me read it. But people who say, I I just can't read the Bible. I don't understand it. And they claim to be a child of God. They claim to be saved. And when you say you're saved, you know, that's that's one of those terms that, that has been used in such ways that it's watered down as well. Salvation means that you've been saved from your sin, that you've been washed clean with the blood of Christ from your sin. And then on top of that, yes, the, 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 uh, the, the real reward in this is that you don't go to hell for eternity and burn and be in torment. But that's not the first and foremost thing about salvation that we should look at. It's not that oh, I don't want to go to hell. It's that I want to be a child of the king. I want to be saved from the things that I know I have done wrong. And I've done them in his sight. That makes me a brethren. That makes you a brethren or a sister and whatever you <laughs> It sounds funny when you say that, just one of them preacher terms. But look, Matt, I'm sorry, Hebrews 3 and 12, take heed, comma, brethren, comma, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. 
Oops, it says right there, brethren, if you have an evil heart of unbelief, you can quickly and possibly depart from the living God. Does that mean you can lose your salvation? You take that into your own consideration. I don't believe in this, oh, I'll just lose a reward. My reward in heaven is what God gives me when I get there, but my biggest reward is to see Jesus. My biggest reward is to be there and stay with him for eternity. That's the reward I'm looking for. If I lose every other one, I don't care. But I'm not trying to either. I don't even preach the rewards and the crowns. I've talked about them before, but that's a sideshow thing. Get it right here lest there be in any of you, brethren, an evil heart of unbelief, comma, in departing from the living God. It says, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. What is this saying? Listen to the to the to the word of God as it speaks to you. Listen to the, the people that you trust. You know, the thing of it is is I have people that trust me. And I that that's a that's a daunting responsibility for people to trust you when you speak from the word of God that you're not going to half step it you're not going to water it down you're not going to compromise it you're you know and and I, I honestly I try to do my best not to I may make mistakes I'm a man I can do that and I I hope that I get called on it if I do but you know there's there's I've heard st- some stuff said I've heard preachers say, uh, Revelation isn't for the Christian, it's for the Jew. Then why is it in the Old Testament? You probably hear the same thing about, you know, that you know, when the, the canonizers of the Scripture didn't even want to put James into the canon of Scripture. Thank God they did. Because God wouldn't allow them not to. See, that's how that works, too. Even if they were going against what God wanted, in the end, he won, and he got in there what he wanted. Now, there's a lot of scripture out there that probably didn't make any canon of scripture. I don't care about that. I don't, I don't fight about it. I do believe that what we have is sufficient for salvation. It's sufficient for walking in the, in the light of God, in the light of Jesus, of staying on the path, being, as it says in Hebrews 3.14, confidence, beginning of our confidence. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end, while it is said, Hebrews 3.15, today, if you or ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts again, as in the provocation. They provoked God. For some, when they had heard, they pro, they did provoke, albeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. 
but with whom he was grieved for 40 years. Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? You don't want your carcass falling in the wilderness. Look, I don't, I don't preach or teach or anything to say that uh, there that you, you once you're saved you cannot sin. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. But I do like what I read that helps me keep my head right. It helps me to uh, parse things out. The ifs, if, the word if. First <clears throat> John chapter 1. I, I've got a, an entire little message I put together on this a while back, but I'm just going to brush it real quick right now. There's these ifs, I-F, the word I-F in First John. It, it's, it goes right down in a row. First John chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. And do not the truth. But, notice there's ifs and buts. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, see, that's where you get the past, present, and future, but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not taking a chance on that. I can just go ahead and sin, and it's okay because I I whispered a prayer once. Uh, Verse number 8 if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So you can't go around and say, well, I don't sin because I'm forgiven forever. You may be, and I believe you are, because we will sin. I may have sinned here in this broadcast. I don't think I have, but you never know. Maybe I said something I shouldn't have. Maybe I got too angry at one point and it was outside of uh, the uh, what it says, be angry and sin not. Verse 9, 1 John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, notice that, if we do, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then again, in verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So you can't go around saying, well, I I don't sin because, you know, I've been forgiven forever. You're just setting yourself up. Confess your sins. You don't have to confess them to a priest. You don't have to confess them to me. You don't have to confess them to your brother, your sister, or your mailman. You confess them to God. In Jesus' name, you just confess your sins. And you say, Lord, forgive me. I I knew I shouldn't have done what I did, but I did it anyway. There is such a price that's been paid for us to 
go through this life in a, in a life that is salvation. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. First <laughs> John 2, 4. And one of my favorites. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm... I'm scrolling. I I I, uh, I lost my place. John talks about walking as he walked. Here it is, First John two six. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he Jesus walked. Now, there's people who tell you, oh, you know, you don't have to do all that religiosity and that church stuff and and all that praying and reading your Bible. All you do is say this prayer with me, and that's it. You're done. I am not hanging my hat on that hat rack. I believe what the Bible says. I don't believe how men try to interpret it and squeeze certain things out like the verse I just read to you about walking as he walked. Jesus walked upright. He walked righteously. He he walked with a gloriousness that we can never have until we die and go to be with him. But we are, as long as we're in these skin suits, to do the best we can to represent him. We are his ambassadors here on earth. An ambassador is a very simple term, isn't it? We know what ambassadors are. The countries of the world send their ambassadors to us. We send ours to them. Unfortunately, we end up spying on each other for the most part. (laughs) But, as a chuckle aside, the word's only used once in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Be a good ambassador. Don't be a spy. Don't be a problem maker. You know, an ambassador is actually, their job is they are sent out by the president, chosen usually by the president of the United States. We'll just keep it within our borders. I don't know how they do it in China. But they're chosen. They go to a, a foreign post, or, you know, got one that sits in the U.N., whatever. But they go to a foreign post. They take up residence there. And through channels, you know, because the president cannot be everywhere all at once, but our king, Jesus, can be. There's where the, there's where the big change comes. But an ambassador goes there, he takes phone calls or video conferences from his boss, the President of the United States, or a designee, and he then 
tells the people in the country that he's in, this is the kind of diplomacy that we're going to enact here. And until my boss can show up, I'm going to be the mouthpiece of it. As an ambassador for Christ, that is your job. We have the word of God that we can bring to the people. We have uh, an open line of communication in prayer. If we don't understand the word of God, or if you need us, you know, you get, you, God speaks to you, believe it or not, it can happen. He's never changed his attitude towards man. Malachi 3.6 says, I am the Lord, I change not. Period. Put a period at the end of that sentence. He says, I don't change. Now, people change all the time. They usually change for the worse, but a lot of times we try to change for the better. But as an ambassador, it is your job to seek out your boss, in this case, your king, Jesus, his father, the heavenly father, God, the holy one, seek out what they want for you to pass on to other people or even to their people. Because think about this. There are those that are in, um, that we have, that an ambassador will, will speak uh, to people of the nation that they are from, you know, like America. You may, maybe an ambassador is appointed to speak even to to his own people. Maybe they're in another country, you know, but they're there representing them. But the ambassador also speaks to the people of that foreign nation. As an ambassador of Christ, people of a foreign nation are all around you. And I'm not talking about people of different colors or different races or different tongues. People that are lost. We are an ambassador for Christ to the lost. We're there to tell them there is a king. One day he's coming. And one day soon, perhaps. You need to be ready. Set your house in order. Get it together. Because he hasn't given me the exact date in his busy schedule that he's going to come, but he is coming. And you don't want to get caught unawares. February 15th, 2023. Pray for the people in East Palestine, Ohio. This horrible thing that's happened in their community, that they'll be safe, they'll get good answers, and they'll get truthful answers. It's Tom Richardson. Until the next time we come together, hopefully very soon, have a great day. Removing confusion is our tagline and what we want to do every time. Heavenly home.
Well, he's made me 